and welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey, friends. Hey, Hello. good to see you. So I do hear that Renee is in the middle of a big, almost hurricane, that there was a tornadoes, hurricane warning. Tornado warning. So yeah, we're, we're good. Tornadoes. We're- you can tell I live in Colorado. I was like, I don't have any of those. Um, I have snow outside of my house right mm-hmm. now. So if all of a sudden she, if all of a sudden her voice disappears, <laughs> say a prayer for her. I don't know. Maybe internet goes down or something. I'm not sure. So this is our second episode on homeschool community programs. Um, in our conversation last time, we chatted through the different models for learning in community as homeschoolers. Um, there's the true co-op where different moms teach classes. There's hybrid or tutorial models with paid teachers. Uh, there's like, the meetup model where students and families just get together for socializing and community events or field trips. And there's a university model that um, meets a couple times a week with paid teachers. And honestly, I really think there's every sort of combination that you could possibly creatively think of for providing either academic, social, spiritual, emotional um, connection and support and really community. As we talked about last time, homeschooling can be lonely. And so to learn together in community really is, I think it's the way it was designed to be. It's a beautiful thing. So the fun thing about uh, learning in community as a homeschooler is that you do have just the the joy of your own family. And then you just get to um, connect with others as well. So today, this is our second part of that conversation. And we're just going to chat a little bit about what if you had the idea of maybe I'll, maybe I'll start something, or maybe there's a group of you or like there's a few friends or um, a few people at your church, maybe in your community. And you're thinking, well, maybe we could get together and do something how do how do you make that happen? Um, the three of us have actually had, you know, a dozen plus where people ask, how do you start something? What do you do? And so we definitely probably have the answer of, I don't know more than anything else, but we're going to chat a little bit today from our experience and maybe some ideas of um, how do you start um, probably more towards a a co-op or a tutorial more than a true like university model that's a little bit closer to um, a, a, a school. Um, but honestly, if you want to have a conversation about that, just reach out. We all could have a conversation about that as well. So this is just a brief conversation about what does it look like to jump in with both feet to create um a learning community. So I would love to hear from you ladies. Um, one of the first things that I thought of as I was kind of brainstorming this is uh, that we we often just, as homeschool moms especially, we have such a vision for education and what we want for our family. It's very idealistic. And then sometimes you start like working with people and you realize, hmm, maybe I'm going to have to tweak my idealism a little bit. Do you guys have any thoughts about kind of this idea of idealism versus reality when thinking about starting a homeschool group? 
When I jumped into leadership in uh, our local tutorial, we it was still in the early days, early years of it. Um, and so I was fortunate to not have to start something from the ground up, and which was good. Um, but also it was already underway and going. So, so for example, I would have loved to have started a purely classical Christian homeschool learning community. But that's not what I had. And, you know, and that's okay that in God's providence, that was not his will for me and our family at that particular time. So um, one thing I learned was how can I work within the place where I am with the people that I'm with? So, for example, while our tutorial was not 100% classical, I had the freedom to offer classes that were. So my classes leaned that direction. And for example, we had a Latin teacher, that's a you know passionate and wonderful teacher of Latin. Um, so for parents who wanted classical education and, and wanted those subjects, we were able to offer them. But at the same time, we were able to uh, minister and serve a larger part of our community by offering more options. So I think that's one way to look at it is, um, you know, what can I do with what I have right here in front of me? We, um, we were involved in starting something many years ago. And, and I think that our mission wasn't very clearly stated from the get-go because we were starting something that was a composition, literature, history, uh, two-day-a-week thing. And within two years, we had music, art, science, all the other subjects, which became very unwieldy and it started to grow into something more like a school. It was very hard to manage. And I think that if we had kept it, if we had been able to keep it more according to our vision, it would have been better. So if you're not careful, if you have a lot of voices speaking into what you're doing, you can get off center. There, there always is that tension between the, the, the ideal vision you have and then honestly what, what you have to work with, right? Um, and, you, and you just, you kind of have to live in that tension a little bit. Like don't lose your, as you were saying, Karen, right? Like don't lose your vision. Don't lose your pursuit of the ideal of an unconventional kind of countercultural way of education in this Christian classical model. So hold to that and then say, okay, how, how am I going to make that a reality? What am I going to do with that? And to your point, Karen, um, figuring out your vision and mission in the beginning is really helpful. I will say I, so I started a, um, a co-op um, 10 years ago and it's still going today. It's, um, it's thriving. It's wonderful. My youngest child still attends that. My older ones are at another program. Um, and the beginning years were tumultuous for my own self. The program did actually pretty well, but I don't think I had like a really clear idea of what exactly I was doing. I just kind of like jumped in, like, I don't know, let's just like start a thing and do it together. That works. You can figure it out. But if I had to do it over again, I would have just taken some hours to sit down and like, okay, what it not like 10 year plan, but just next few years. Um, what is the vision and mission? Um, and maybe some of you can jump in on that of how do you figure out your vision and mission and how do you kind of narrow it down 
into details and maybe what's the difference between a vision and a mission? Well, you have a lot of times. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so you start out with a question of what do we want to do or what, are, what is our goal? What do we want to achieve? And I think that, that a lot of times, you know, if you spend time on the front end clarifying those questions and those answers, it helps you figure out which direction you are going to go. The larger tutorial I worked with for many, many years, our goal was to provide academically excellent classes taught by qualified teachers, but we were very clear that we were not a school. And so that, that mission drove everything we did. We, you know, we weren't going to add XYZ program because we are not a school. Okay. On a much smaller scale, um, I was involved in a, a very small little co-op with, and I believe there were four families. And our real goal was to get our kids together on a Friday afternoon because they all had a great time and they were good friends. And we wanted something kind of productive and fun for them to do that might encourage and help them along their schooling way. So, you know, they weren't just playing games together. So we, we picked a couple of enrichment type subjects and, um, and that guided our, our goals. So therefore, because we were small, because we weren't trying to do something super academic, um, it helped us narrow our choices to something that would really work for these, um, how many was it? Two, four, six, eight, nine, eight kids, nine kids maybe that um, got together on a Friday. So, you know, big picture, big goals means you're going to have to have bigger administration and, and bigger systems in place to carry those out. But by keeping things smaller and simpler, you also keep your life a lot simpler too. So that could be that a guiding, guiding principle <laughs> for some moms out there. Well, and when you start off, like you're saying, and, and the way that I described last time with my daughter-in-law and her friends doing those kinds of enrichment things, and then it growing a little bigger, and then growing a little bigger, you already know, A, these are people I can work with, and we can expand a little more now maybe to let other people in. Maybe now we can add a component of people can pay to come. Maybe now we can add the component of we're going to start paying our teachers. And so, it, you know, if you can do it gently like that, getting to know each other and what you're capable of doing and what your loves are and, and all of that, it's a little easier than just starting a whole university model or tutorial without knowing these people already. Mm -hmm. Well, and start small. I mean, I love that. I mean, I just think that like starting something organically um, with friends actually is a great it's a, such a great way. I mean, because you do know that you are like-minded already. Um, if you do, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're like, I really want to start a university model school and I just want to jump in. I want to start a program with a hundred kids. Um, that is different, but I mean, that's a different starting point with a whole new set of, um, like that's a full-time job. Um, and that was something to be honest for my own self, that's something that was a transition I had to make and really kind of wrestle through of knowing, knowing limitations um, to say, I mean, homeschooling is growing astronomically in the United States. So if you start something small, it will quickly become something big because if it's really great, people will want to join. So they're going to want to jump in with you. If you started it and um, it's flourishing and it's growing, it kind of sounds like Karen, that's how Bethany's is, you know, like if people, she probably could get a lot of people join if she yeah. just opened it up. Yeah. yeah, and they're trying to get, like, they're at the stage now where they're trying to decide what, what do our kids need 
what can we give them as a group and how, what's this going to look like and how are we going to pay for it? So keep in mind then at that point, that's part of your vision. Did you, are you starting this for your own family and the families that you're working with? Like, did you start it for them or do you want to be the director of a program? Those are two different things. Um, So if you keep in mind, well, I just, I started this for my kids and my friend's kids. It grows differently out of that. So that's when you are brainstorming then the next level of details, like, well, do we want to meet one day a week or do we want to meet two days a week? Where are we going to meet? Are we going to meet outside because we're nature focused? Are we going to meet at a church? Are we going to meet at a house? Um, Are we going to offer just electives? Is it just more like nature studies and science experiments and handwork? I'm thinking like, you know, like Charlotte Mason um, or is it core subjects? Are there assignments? Is there grading? There's like so many things that you can follow that path. Oh, I have a question then. Well, at what point do, does a group decide, okay, now is when we're going to ask the families to pay money. Now is when we're going to pay the teachers. Like, what do you think is the, like that's because that's a big change. Do you know what I mean? So we were a paid model from day one though. So, I mean, the family's all paid to participate. Um, So I think that is different. I would say you begin to pay when um, there's no longer the ability or the model for a a true like split labor, Um, that it's not not a cooperative anymore where every mom kind of has her thing, whether it's one mom watches the babies while the other mom teaches history. Um, I think when it turns to the point that, um, some moms are like, I'm going to teach every single week for the whole year. Um, some of that depends if you're a drop-off program also, that's like a really big deciding. If it's a drop-off program, it's going to be a paid program. Um, and that's something to decide. Do I want all to, for, for me personally, I actually like couldn't imagine what I would do with that many moms there. So I'm like, actually, just drop your kids off. It's fine. I don't know what I would do with you. Um, but I know whatever, you know, like dozens of um, co-ops and larger programs where the moms are there. And that's beautiful. It's great. You just have to decide what you want. You know, uh, Renee, like with your the programs that you were in, like were they, um, I mean, the co-op was like your families together, but then the tutorial would have been drop off, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the co-op was truly a shared labor, and, um, and and you know, just encourage moms who are going that direction. It, it can be great for saving money. I get that. And, you know, resources are tight, and if you're on a single income, and you really can find a few other friends, and you have the talents among you to share, um, you know, go for it. I mean, just be very, very clear about expectations and who does what, because it can be really easy very quickly for someone to feel taken advantage of if they feel like they're putting in more than someone else. And, and how are you going to guard against that? So you really have to be, your, your communication has to be great um, as you kind of work these what ifs out. Um, in our, our tutorial model, we were, we were a little different. And I think we were I loved the way we did it. it made so much sense. Like I said, we weren't to school. So every teacher charged the parents individually for their classes. 
So parent, if a parent had five children taking three classes each, they wrote 15 checks a month to 15 different teachers, or, you know, if, if maybe one teacher was teaching a few different ones, but um, parents paid the teachers directly. So our, our model was we were not a school. We did not collect tuition and we didn't pay teachers. We just sort of provided the building. And so um, we did have a registration fee. Parents paid the registration and then, and then they went on to pay the teachers directly. And that worked really, really well um, because it was, it was an a la carte kind of a, a program. And um, if parents had a problem or there were financial issues or anything like that, they just had to deal directly with the teacher herself or himself. So that, that made our admin duties much, much simpler. Which is good to take note of because someone's going to have to be the administrator. And when it's mm -hmm. like a group of homeschoolers, often no one really wants that job. Um, so I, I love that idea. I mean, we currently have, um, you know, a friend of mine, homeschool mom, who's our administrator, and that's just right up her alley. She's really good at it. And she enjoys um, being able to offer that as her skill. So um, again, like as you're kind of casting a vision and mission, you're, you know, maybe the next thing on that is you're deciding what is the structure of this going to be, you know, paid, unpaid, meet, once a week, whatever, all of those things that we've mentioned. Another one I'll throw in is that commonly comes up is what is your faith position as well. And obviously as a group of friends, that rarely is a, that rarely is an issue. Um, but if you open it up for a dozen families or more, um, you know, you have to decide is, is this a, is this a faith-based program? Is it just not a faith-based program at all? Is it denominational? Um, if you're, you know, Anglican or something, and there's, you're like, we want to be Anglican. We wanted this to be like, we want it to go according to Anglican traditions or whatever. Um, well, then it might be tricky if a Catholic wants to join. That's something to think through ahead of time. Are you ecumenical? Whatever it is, actually stick to it. Like stick to whatever it is that you've decided you are on that. Um, and so much of that, and I'll, I'll segue into this next one on this, and I'd like to hear y'all's thoughts on this because you've been in a lot of leadership positions in different organizations. Um, once you kind of figure out your vision and mission, um, and this probably goes together with this one on your leadership, determining who's the leadership, um, your leadership people are going to help you with your vision and mission, of course, because they're going to be on board with that of who will, who's going to direct this? Like, do you need a director? Who's going to be the administrator? Who's going to be in charge? Um, how did y'all figure that out? I mean, you know, not even maybe only with co-ops, but you guys have just been in a lot of leadership positions. Um, what does that look like to create a really healthy, unified leadership team that can grow the vision and mission in a successful way? Our team was made up of um, teachers and we, we did not have a parent board. We didn't have a very big admin team. I think there were three of us for a while, then we went to four and then five finally as we grew. But um, we kept it small and we made the decisions. We, we, had, we had good communication with our teachers and 
definitely kept the communication lines open and had a vehicle for them to communicate with us and, and so forth. But um, we, we handled, you know, things within our small, our small leadership team. And it, it seemed to work well. Um, the way we handled the faith question was we had a very, I would say a very generic, maybe based on the Nicene Creed, I don't remember, just a Protestant statement of faith that pretty much every denomination would be fine with. Um, and we were very clear in our our explanations to future parents and future families that uh, this is what the teachers all signed and this is where we were coming from. And we welcomed anyone who wanted to join our co-op our tutorial, but they had to understand we were teaching from a faith-based perspective, even if that wasn't true for their family. So A, they knew what they were getting into. And B, we also had a very clear statement of conduct um, expectations for all the students. So even if you, let's say, were not from a family that talks about the Ten Commandments, you still are not allowed to hit people and you still can't be disrespectful and you still have to follow the dress code. So. We had something to, to stand on as far as this is the behavior that we expected. Karen, any leadership thoughts? Well, I think that when we, when Andrew started that quote all those years ago in 2001, I think it was, um, we started it with within three weeks. I mean, we started planning it within three weeks of starting it. And before he knew it, he was running, quote, school. And he, he said, wait, wait, this, this isn't what I want to be doing. And so, you know, A, don't plan, don't start something three weeks after you begin planning it. <laughs> like lesson one, don't do that. <laughs> and then, you know, decide, decide who the admin is going to be and, and get the help and decide if you don't want to be running a school and don't start one. Okay, somebody write, like, if you were thinking of, like, starting something, write that down. If you don't want to run a school, don't start one. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> I go. mean, you know, pretty simple, but we fell right into it. So it can happen. You can just fall into these things and then go, wait, where am I? What am I doing? Yep. So decide what you want to be and follow the path and stay on the path. And be willing to, um, if you get to that point, this actually happened in my case. I came to the point and I'm like, I'm kind of running a school and I never wanted to run a school. Be willing to back off then. And people might be a little bit disappointed. Like, wait, I wanted a school. Um, it's okay. You can say, well, this is not a school. That's not who we are. Like go back, like go back to your first love, like go back. That's why your vision and mission matters to say, I don't want to start a school. I want what, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is that you are starting, but you need your, fellow leaders in the same place as you then who are going to back you up, whatever it is. And I, I echo what Renee said about having, you know, even having a document, this is our statement of faith. We're mere Christians. And um, we sign this and you need to sign this because you might think at the get-go, oh, all these people, we all believe the same thing. You know, we all, we all know this. We don't have to take that formality, what seems like a formality to sign something when you know, you have to start, start that way because it's going to grow. So don't start, don't think, oh, we'll just add the documents later. You got to start them from the beginning. Mm -hmm. well, and that was the difference. Be like, if you are, uh, if you're a small group of whatever, four families or five families, maybe you don't need a handbook. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe 
maybe that's fine. You just, you meet up, you do your thing, you're all friends, great. Um, but if you are more formally organizing something that there are families that, I mean, even if you all know each other, I, I learned this from experience, it is very, very helpful to have something in writing of, as you said, Renee, like whether it's, this is what our dress code is, but something that you can refer to, it, it, it actually creates harmony because you're like, oh, this is what we're all doing. So, and this is what we agreed on. This is what we said. Um, and then in the case, as I'm sure all of us have been in, that um, a pushback arises or a conflict arises as will happen. 100% sure that if you start a pro program, you will have a conflict. That's just what's going to happen because you are a human living in the world. So that's what happens. So uh, like having some, like this is our, like I said, whether it's your handbook or your statement of faith or whatever. Um, but then as you're developing that leadership team, thinking, what do I need? Um, for this. And sometimes it just kind of naturally evolves. Like there are certain people who just kind of have more natural leadership qualities. And um, in my case, um, I, I like to work with the people I work like, you know, so work with people you like, if it's a small, if it's a small group, work with your friends. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, you don't need to like go out and hire someone who's like an expert in something business-wise. You guys can figure it out. Like we, we have figured it out over the last decade. Um, and I, and I, I, I want to throw this in there because I actually have this in my notes, like underlined and circled. So I'm like, say this thing um, from day one, starting with the leadership and then with our teachers. And when I say leadership, it makes it sound fancy. There was like, you know, there was three of us and we were all friends and we're just running this thing together. And there was, you know, we ended up with, 50 kids is what we, and that was our cap. Um, we would never take more than 50 kids. Um, but from day one, we made it our practice that we would never ever speak poorly of each other. Um, and then that went to um, teachers, to families in that it was just part of our culture. This actually wasn't in writing anywhere, um, but it was part of our culture that we would never speak poorly of another mom. Um, which if you have worked just as homeschool moms, that's a hard decision to make, to say, I will, I will never gossip. I will never speak poorly of another mom in this program. Um, because the, we actually realize the most important thing here is not the content that we're teaching our children, but the lives that we're modeling to them. So they all come together and what do they see? They see their moms um, and they see the relationship that their moms have with each other. Um, and that served us so, so well, because we actually did have some major conflict that came um, just as well through different moms, but within those walls and in that community, it was, we will be kind and loving. Um, any other, any other advice for creating a leadership team um, or what to look for or even moving into um, who should teach, like who should teach it, these programs. Well, you mentioned how you you get together still with your teachers once a month and you read a book together. So, so in other words, you're doing kind of training and discussion and remotivating each other and you know um, encouraging one another once a month. 
I think I think that's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think with leadership team, you look at who's already doing something. Who's who's doing something that because they love what we're all about, they're jumping in and helping. Um, they're probably a good candidate for being on leadership team because they care, and they care enough to be consistent and dependable and and offer good ideas and be willing to to step in and and work on those good ideas so you know it just kind of rises i guess to the top you 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 can you can spot the people who, who really do care and want to help and be a part of it um when it comes to teachers again that goes back to your your mission and vision are are we you know are we here to offer a rigorous academic program then who we hire needs to be someone that probably has experience teaching this subject. They know what they're doing. They love it. They love the students. They have a good reputation. We could check references, um, all of that versus, Hey, we're just a group of moms. And, you know, I don't know a lot of Latin, but I love Latin and I would love to teach it to the kids. And if you'll trust me with that, I will do my best to, to be the best Latin teacher we can, we can have. You know, and that's a that's a different kind of an atmosphere, and they're both great. You know, whether whether you're in a program that pays the experienced Latin teacher with a master's degree, or whether you pay the mom who is super motivated and a great learner and and willing to put forth the work. So it, it just really depends. But um, I would definitely say when it comes to teachers, don't go on recommendations alone. Right, check them out. Check them out, preferably with at least two, if not three people. Don't go on one person's word alone um, and, and follow up and ask lots of questions. Watch them teach. Get a lot of information before you, you take that step and bring them on board. Yeah, and I'll, I'll second that. Like I, in the last couple of years, we've started doing um, like official teaching demonstrations. Like you actually have to come in and teach a class. Um, and even in our interviewing of the teachers, now these these are paid teachers um, in an upper school program. So essentially the two models that Renee was talking about, we have both of those models, are, are um, a K through six, like Charlotte Mason co-op program is, it's all moms, it's all taught by moms. Um, and then our upper school, it's all hired teachers. And so I kind of, you know, see how both works. With moms, obviously you're not like, it could, it could prove to be a relational disaster if you're like, I'm, I'm the one who's in, officially interviewing you and it's a little bit too official. Um, sometimes in those scenarios, you, as you said, Renee, it's like, I have a passion for Latin. I can do it. Okay, you don't have a master's, but you're going to be awesome. You're going to be great. Um, but we've started creating an interview process that is more um, narrative and relational. So we will ask questions like, um, so the kids were all playing outside and they all just came inside and everyone's a little bit crazy. What would you do? And a lot of like, what would you do questions? Um, whether it's like you, you have the responsibility to teach, um, you know, such and such book and you're laying out a lesson plan. How would you lay out an hour long class? So we kind of like scenario questions and that works across the board for any, any teachers you're looking for. You need to know a little bit about them. Um, but Karen, to your point, we actually, it's not just the teachers that meet. It's actually every mom in the whole school. There's um, a once a month. This is for the K-6 program. It's a once a month mandatory um, mom dinner. And actually all the moms love it. They just, I mean, I think there's 20, 22 moms or something now. 
um, and they all come and they read together. One year we read Shakespeare together. Some years we've read novels together. Some years we do like homeschool Charlotte Mason books, um, but they can just come. And it's a great chance for the leadership to communicate what's happening at the school too. So nobody's so out of the then, So then how do you train your upper school teachers? What do they do? Um, that program particularly is a little less co-op-ish. I mean, it's definitely like, it's a hybrid program for sure. So we have like formal teacher training um, and then they have like a mentor type um, person as well who kind of helps them along and they have like evaluations and feedback from that. So it feels a little bit more, feels more like it feels a, a little bit more like a school in that for yeah. the high schoolers. In that, um, but we actually are already out of time on this. Um, any last just word or advice for anyone who's like, hey, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to start this. Yeah, just do it. Go for it. Go for it. That's our great Come advice. In. Just do it. Um, this would years from now. Years from now, you might think, oh, I should have done that. So the time is now. Mm -hmm. seize the day um but this is a great one if you guys have if you have questions or anything just throw them on the facebook page um and it, it you know either we'll reply or i know probably half of you listening are already running your own co-op or program so you probably have thoughts and ideas um so if anyone wants to throw some questions out there or even just comments from your own experience hey i started a program and i did this and it was great um That'd be super helpful. That's what we're here for. So um, be in touch, reach out, ask questions. We're really glad that you're a part of our community. So until next time, here's to home. Bye.